Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven, he will sing. On the gallows, she will swing. I mean, I have never heard a more elegant piece of poetry in my life. No. I mean, William Wordsworth could never. No. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to agree with you. (laughs) He's a romantic era poet, and he won the Poet Laureate, which is a huge That's right. I forgot. Yeah. I, he's he's one of the lake poets. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. That would, I knew that would trigger for you. Yeah, Will. Will. Old Will. Bring it all back. Old Will. Yeah. Good old Billiam. Yeah. You know. Will is a real dick. You know. Will? Takes all <laughs> kinds. It sure does. Okay. So, hello and welcome. Uh, this is a What If I Told You podcast, a show that just wants to drink tea and light fires. Sounds like a day. It does. Um, we're coming at you virtually again because, I don't know, for some reason, Madeline and I just let the entire weekend go by, even though we were together for a very long extended period of time on Saturday. <laughs> like all day. <laughs> and we did not record, so... You're going to get this a day late, probably, because I'm not going to stay up and fucking edit this. Uh, Yeah, I mean, listen, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's all the same. It's the same. Especially, you know, when you work a regular job. Yeah, and you're getting two episodes a week all month, so just fuck right off. Exactly. Get get off our backs, okay? We're trying we're trying our yeah. best. And while you're getting off our backs, um, go check out our TikTok and our Instagram. You can send us an email at what if I told you podcast at gmail.com. And, you know, while you're listening to this, if you're on Apple Pods, just scroll on down and give us a little review and a rating. Yeah, that'd be real cool. Yeah. You know, we're here all day. Unfortunately, we are. Yes. Um, so this is episode two of our spooky season spectacular. So um, now, have we watched the new Hocus Pocus yet? No. No, we have not. Uh, I keep seeing the commercials and I keep thinking to myself, listen, I should watch it, but I have not. I haven't been able to commit yet. No. And of course we're going to because obviously you have to. Everyone that I've known that has seen it, complete trash, but we all knew this. Yeah. But you know what? I would watch almost anything with Bette Midler in it. So. I mean, Even if it's right. garbage, I feel like I'm going to at least enjoy Bette Midler, at the very least. Um, Where does this laptop capture uh, the sound of me? Because I don't want it to, like, take it from the sides and it be muffled by um, my thighs or a pillow. Um, I, I think it might be on the sides. Well, I'll just balance it like that. And then you can look at my double chin the whole time. Okay. We, we've all got one. Yeah. That's just life. You know, it's, it's the curse of humans. You either... You eat, you're either miserable and hate your life because all you eat is lettuce. Right. And you get up and run every day. Right. Or you get to eat cool food. You mm-hmm. don't run every day and you have a double chin. So, you know what? Yeah. You know, for dinner tonight, I had five spoonfuls of chili and a fistful of cornbread. So, obviously, this is what you're going to get. Right. 
Right. Now, I'm actually, I actually eat, I don't know, I'm talking shit. I eat healthy every day. Yes, you do. I'm currently eating a edamame and cauliflower fritter with broccoli and cabbage. So I don't know why I'm talking shit, but it's good. I bet it is good. It's excellent. I feel like that would be good with some ranch. Well, I'm eating it with ketchup. And okay. It's so, yeah, it could go either way. I bet it would be good with ranch. Um, the HelloFresh box did send a, like, mayo-based dipping sauce, like a mayo chili sauce. And I said, you know what? Mm. I don't love mayo, so I'm going to say a new thank you. I like mayo um, on a sandwich, but I don't, I I feel weirded out by, like, mayonnaise-based things. Now, I really enjoy, like, an aioli, which is mayo-based, but there's a lot of other stuff in there as well. Yeah. Like, a good garlic aioli. Yes, thank you. But any other mayo-based sauce is going to be a no for me, so. Yeah. I feel that. But anyway, so also in the spooky season vein is the new Halloween comes out this week, Friday, I think. Yeah. I think it's Friday. So um, it's supposed to be the final one, very last. And uh, Lori Stroud, she's the ultimate final girl, as we all know. Is she making it out of the final Halloween film alive? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. If they kill her, I'm gonna be so pissed. I'm gonna I like. Mean, I kind of like being pissed off at the end of scary movies. I like them to end horribly. Yeah. See, this is where I'm going to contradict myself, because if they kill Laurie Stroud, I'm going to be mad. But I also understand it, and whenever a book series, like an epic book series, ends and nobody has died, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's really unrealistic that there would be a huge war and none of these people die. Right. It's really unrealistic that Lori Stroud has been running from Michael Myers for her entire life and is still alive. Yeah, that's some shit, bro. (laughs) But I love a slasher. Almost any slasher I will love, so. Halloween's probably my my top. And then probably Friday the 13th. And then uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know if I have a favorite. Yeah. Halloween, definitely. Mm. There is also a new Pinhead coming out. New Hellraiser. I've actually never seen the original Hellraisers because Pinhead really, really scared me when I was younger. Still kind of does, actually. Yeah, it's it's different. (laughs) It just isn't. It's not what I'm going for. It's unsettling. Wildly unsettling. All right. Well, as you all can see, oh, also, no chips corner. Uh, He is five episodes behind. He gave us an update today. Yeah, I um, thought about responding to his text, and then I was like, oh, I forgot. This is what happens to me in text messages. I like, there's long pause and then I just something else, you know. I'm actually going to text him back right now cuz I also forgot. <laughs> um I'm going to say it's okay. We still love you. We're not wildly depressed about it or anything. And then I said kinda. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. All right. Let's hope he doesn't text back because then we'll both get notifications. <laughs> oh, yeah. I keep forgetting that you have my laptop. So when I get texts, you also get them. Yeah. For the time being. Uh, so today we're talking about Lizzie Borden. You know, uh, since that's what we started with. Yeah. From the um, poem. 
So. Right. And, you know, we all know the basics of the story, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Lizzie Borden. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden. Very spooky season. Yes, very much so. So, Lizzie Borden. Who was she? You're asking yourselves. Well, listen up. Her middle name was Andrew. Lizzie Andrew Borden. Her dad's name was Andrew, so I'm guessing that that is why her middle name is Andrew, which, you know what, I really enjoy because they're bucking gender norms here by giving her a traditionally male middle name. So good for you, Borden family. Um, She was born July 19th in 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Fun fact, her birthday is one day after mine. Oh, hell yeah. So, very cool. Um, Her parents were Sarah Anthony Borden and Andrew Jackson Borden. It's really unfortunate that his name is Andrew Jackson. Very. That is. Oh, so unfortunate. Anyway, she had one older sister named Emma Lenora Borden. Um, Emma was born in 1851, so she's quite a bit older than Lizzie. Nine yeah. years. That's significant. Yep. Um, Andrew Borden was of English and Welsh, Welsh descent. He grew up in very modest surroundings, and his family struggled financially. He also struggled as a young man, which happens. Uh, despite being the descendant of local influential residents, but he eventually prospered in the manufacture and sale of furniture and caskets. All right. So that's pretty on theme. Yeah. Uh, then he became a successful property developer. Can you imagine being a property developer in eighteen in the eighteen hundreds? No. no. <laughs> like. Not even every house had indoor plumbing at this point, so that'd be, like, a real upgrade. Yeah. Um, He was the director of several textile mills and owned a considerable amount of commercial property. He was also the president of the Union Savings Bank and a director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company. So... He's got some shit going on for him. Dude's an entrepreneur, and he's got that Skrilla. I wish you would have spit that out. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> it went down, finally. It's down. <laughs> wow. I gulped that hard. Okie dokie. So, um, at the time of Andrew's death, his estate was valued at $300,000, which was equivalent to about $9 million in 2021 and 9.63 million in 2022 so that's a considerable amount of moolah hell yeah it is uh lizzie and emma had pretty religious upbringing i mean this is new england in the 19th century everyone is religious One would expect, given the time period, and they attended Central Congregational Church. As a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, including teaching Sunday school to children of recent immigrants. She was involved in religious organizations, such as the Christian Endeavor Society, for which she served as secretary and treasurer. Um, She was involved in contemporary social movements, such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Uh, she was a member of the Ladies Fruit and Flower Mission. Sounds very lame. Sounds like something I would fail miserably at. Agreed. <laughs> uh, Lizzie's mother, Sarah, died in 1863 when she was just three years old. Um, three years after that, Andrew remarried to a woman named Abby Durfee Gray. And Lizzie stated that she called her stepmother Mrs. Borden 
and was a little mum on whether or not they had a cordial relationship. She, it's speculated that she believed Abby had married her father for his wealth, which, I mean, it's probably a contributing factor. Bridget Sullivan, whom the family called Maggie, uh, which was the Borden's live-in maid, she was 25 years old, she had immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland, had testified that Lizzie and Emma rarely ate meals with their parents because of their disdain for Abby and their father for remarrying. Damn. That's severe. Especially, it seems odd because Sarah died when Abby, or whenever Lizzie was three, so she doesn't even remember her own mother. Right. So it's kind of like, you would just kind of think that her stepmom would have been a more of a mother unless she was just honestly a horrible woman yeah maybe she was just an insufferable bitch yeah could be yeah um so a family argument in july of 1892 prompted both sisters to take an extended vacation to new bedford massachusetts and only and after returning to fall river a week before the murders lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for 4 days before returning to the family residence um tension had been growing within the borden family for months before the murders especially because andrew borden had get, had made gifts of real estate to various members of abby's family and after their stepmother's sister received a house Emma and Lizzie demanded that their father give them a rental property, um, a home that they, the home that they had lived in until Sarah Borden died, which he obviously gave them. And then, so they purchased it from their father for $1. That's basically just a, to avoid it being considered like an inheritance and paying inheritance taxes. Um, and then a few weeks before the murder, they sold the property back to their father for $5,000, which is about 150000 in today's dollars. Right. So there's weird things happening here. That is uh, pretty fucking weird, honestly. That's actually, it's pretty shitty. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, so... Now we're going to talk about what happened to them. August 3rd, 1892. The brother of late Sarah Borden, John Morse, arrived in the evening of August 3rd and slept in the guest room that night. On August 4th, um, after breakfast, Andrew... Abby, Lizzie, John, and the Borden's maid, Bridget, a.k.a. Maggie, were present. Um, Hold on, Binks is scratching on the door. Okay. So, after breakfast the next morning, um, which Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, John, and the maid, Maggie, were all present, Andrew and John went to the sitting room. Where they chatted for nearly an hour. And then Morris left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River. And he did plan on returning to the Borden home for lunch at noon. So he left. uh, And then Andrew left for his morning walk sometime after 9 a.m. Sometime between 9 and 10 Abby went upstairs to make the bed in the guest room, and during this time, Abby was murdered. Uh, Forensic investigation suggests that Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack, so that's that makes it even more fucked up. She was first struck on the side of the head and cut just above the ear, and investigators speculate that the force of the blow caused her to spin and then fall face down onto the floor, which caused contusions to her nose and her forehead. She was then struck around 17 more times in the back of her head. That's what we call overkill. uh, Yeah. And investigators say that the weapon was most likely a hatchet or an axe. 17. 
17 times. 17. That's a lot. Yeah. To the head. What is left of her head after that? Straight to the head. No. So Andrew gets back home around 1030. He attempted to unlock the door, but his key wouldn't work. He knocked on the door and then the housekeeper tried to open it for him, but it was stuck. But he did eventually get inside. Um, Sullivan would later testify that he heard Lizzie laughing around this time. But she didn't actually see her. And she also stated that the laughter sounded like it came from the second floor. This the housekeeper is causing problems out here. I'm I'm saying this information is significant because by this time Abby had been killed and anyone on the second floor would have most likely seen her body by now. Yes. I'm going to let you do that since those are your thoughts there. What? <laughs> um. <laughs> um yeah, so I put a little blurb in here that I have some qualms with housekeeper Maggie Sullivan because from what the evidence shows the attack on Abby was uh brutal she was whacked 17 times in the back of the head on the second floor of this house how in the name of DJ Polly D did no one in the house hear shut the fuck up <laughs> um it seems like Lizzie and Maggie Sullivan were both home at the time. How did neither one of them hear something that seems to me was likely a super chaotic attack? Now, of course, Lizzie has her alibi and has stated she was outside of the house and in the barn during the attack. But, and there is also a witness that testifies to seeing her leave the barn after the time frame of Abby's and Andrew's murders. But that still leaves Maggie Sullivan in the house. Right. Allegedly. How does she not hear this shit? I don't know. I mean, I would assume that Abby probably even screamed. Because she was first hit facing her killer. Right. Hello. If somebody, if I'm staring at someone and they just raise an axe to me. I'm probably going to scream. Yeah, I would say that would probably be the first thing I would do as well. It just seems like the knee-jerk reaction that's going to happen. Yeah, just naturally. Yeah, or maybe maybe you start, like, backing away from them and you start, like, knocking some shit down to try and, like, I don't know, obstruct their path to you. I don't know. Who fucking knows? Who knows? Um... So, once Andrew was inside, he'd, you know, just tried to lay down on the sofa and take a nap. Yeah. Um, Sullivan stated that she was in her own room on the third floor when she heard Lizzie yell from downstairs that Andrew had been killed. And she said this happened at, like, 11.10 a.m. Investigators found that he had been struck 10 or 11 times with what appeared to be a hatchet. One of his eyes had been split clean in two. Gross. Um, which investigators seem to think point to Andrew having been asleep when the attack occurred. And his wounds were also still bleeding when authorities arrived, suggesting that the attack was, of course, very recent. The family physician and detectives then arrived at the house. Andrew was pronounced dead. And um, the time of death was determined to be approximately 11 o'clock. And Abby's body was also found, and then she was officially pronounced dead as well. I forgot to get cat food today. Uh -uh. Yeah, they're going to be fucking psychos all night, dude. I have like <laughs> a handful of cat food left for them. Yeah. Do you hear him? Yeah. 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 He's going to do that the whole time, so. Oh, 
that's fine. He is a black cat. You know, it just goes into spooky season. It it just adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. Okay, so Lizzie's alibi. Now this is gonna get waffly. So just hold on to your hats. Um, okay, so her initial answers to the police's questions were strange and contradictory, according to the police. Initially, she reported hearing a groan or scraping noise or distress call before she entered the house. Two hours later, she told police she heard nothing and entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong. And when asked where her stepmother was, she said that Abby had received a note asking her to visit a sick friend. And she also stated she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. So I'm guessing this is a conversation she's having with servants or maids. Maybe. I don't know what it's like to live a life with servants, so I don't know. It seems like in this time period... There was always, probably always someone in a house like this. Right. They're wealthy. So there's, there's probably people there. So she's having this conversation with servants. Yes. Asking about Abby, talking about the sick friend, whatever. So Maggie Sullivan and a neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, were halfway up the stairs and their eyes level with the floor when they looked in the guest room and saw Abby laying face down on the floor. At this point, I believe officers were already in the house and assessing Andrew's body. Right. And when they went to look for Abby, they found her obviously dead. So most of the officers who interviewed Lizzie Borden reported that they disliked her attitude. And some said she was too calm and poised which I think police always have an issue with whenever people are murdered and then their loved ones are too calm. Right. But if you, but if you're hysterical, then they think that's suspicious too. Like you're acting, you're trying to overdo your grief. So it's like, what the fuck? What are you supposed to do? You're just one solitary tear. That's it. Yeah. Just a soft sob. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overdo it. Yeah. But uh, you can't be too stoic either. Right. Because <laughs> that's what you're going to be thinking about when you discover that your parents are murdered. Exactly. Nowadays, that probably is what you're thinking. You're well, yeah. Honestly. Fucking guilty. I didn't do anything. Yeah. God. Oh, I really hope that I'm never in this situation. <laughs> Listen, I just, I could not. No, I could I... I might actually make myself look really guilty, trying really hard not to look guilty. Well, yeah. I'm not guilty. The world is a, is a weird place. It is. It really is. <laughs> you, you can't please all the people all the time, so. That, that's right. No matter what you're doing, someone is mad about it. Yeah, just don't murder anyone. <laughs> yeah, and hope to God no one murders someone in your house. Because yeah. you're undesirable number one at that point exactly fuck anyway so despite the police not liking lizzie's attitude and changing her alibis or and all of that nobody bothered to check her for blood stains of course police searched her room in more of a cursory manner as opposed to actually searching it um at the trial they admitted to not doing a proper search because Lizzie was not feeling well. They were subsequently criticized for their lack of diligence. Duh. Especially if they suspected her immediately, but they didn't look for anything. Yeah. They're just like, huh, she's acting weird and we're going to look at her, but we're not going to actually investigate this. So. <laughs> So they did uh, investigate the basement and found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. 
The hatchet head was suspected of being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared to be fresh and the ashen dust on the hatchet head, unlike the on the other tools, appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look as if it had been in the basement for a long time. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, clever. But was there any blood on it is the real question. I feel like in 1892... They're probably not doing super thorough cleanup. I would say not. I mean, there weren't paper towels, you know? Yeah. And then you're just going to get a bunch of rags covered in blood. Mm-hmm. And then what are you going to do with your rags? Right. You know? You got to burn them. And then people are going to say, why are you burning stuff so soon after the murder? Right. You know. It's a mess at this point. It's, yeah. It's threat level midnight on every front. Yeah. So none of the tools were actually removed from the home. Cool. Because of the mysterious illness that had stricken the household just before the murders, um, the entire family had been sick. Like, I think the few days prior to the murders, everyone had gotten like a stomach illness. Randomly. Um, So the family's milk as well as Andrew's and Abby's stomachs were tested for poison, but none was found. Um, Residents of the area suspected Lizzie of purchasing hydrocyanic acid in a diluted form from the local drugstore. Her defense was that she inquired about the acid in order to to clean her furs despite local medical examiner's testimony that it did not have any antiseptic properties. Hmm. So she inquired about it, but it's not said that she actually purchased it. And there's no proof that she purchased it. Right. She asked about it, but there's also no poison found in the stomachs of Andrew or Abby. So I don't know why it matters. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, on August 6th, so we're now two days post-murder, police conducted a more thorough search of the house, inspected both Abby's and, not Abby, both Lizzie's and Emma's clothing, and confiscated the broken-handled hatchet. That evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect. The next morning, a family friend named Alice Russell entered the kitchen to find Lizzie tearing up a dress. Ooh. She explained that she was planning to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. Hmm. It was never determined whether the dress she had been wearing, whether it was the dress she had been wearing on the day of the murder or not. I'm going to say it was. I'm going to say it was because... Why else would you be doing that? Yeah. What? And it doesn't say what color of paint was on the dress. Mm, I bet it looked red. I bet it was red. Or like brown. Ooh, it was probably brown. Because by that time it's dry. Yeah, gross. Gross. All right. So Lizzie's charges. Um, First, there was an inquest. And this is kind of like a presentation of the evidence and precedes any indictments. Fun fact, we don't really do inquests anymore. This is a, this is an old day situation. Um, interestingly, Lizzie requested her attorney to be present with her at the inquest, but she was denied because under state statute, an inquest is private. Which is uh, crazy. Super crazy. Um, Lizzie appeared at the inquest hearing on August 8th. Her request to have her family attorney present was refused under a state statute providing that an inquest must be held in private. She had been prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves. <laughs> And it is possible that her testimony was affected by this. I would say. I mean, I've had morphine before. Absolutely. This bitch was high as hell. Yeah. 
Her behavior was erratic, and she often refused to answer a question, even if the answer would be beneficial to her. Again, this girl's not even on Earth right now. Right. (laughs) She often contradicted herself and provided alternating accounts of the morning in question, such as saying she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, but then she would say she was in the dining room doing some ironing, And then she would say she was coming down the stairs. She also said she removed her father's boots and put some slippers on him. While police uh, photographs clearly showed that he was still wearing his boots. So that's random. Super random and has really nothing to do with anything. Right. The district attorney was very aggressive and confrontational. On August 11th, Lizzie was served with a warrant. And um, was put in jail. The inquest testimony, um, which was the basis for the modern debate regarding her guilt or her innocence, was later ruled inadmissible at her trial in June of 1893. Contemporaneous newspaper articles noted that Lizzie possessed a, quote, stolid demeanor Mm -hmm. and bit her lips and flushed and bent toward attorney Adams. All right. It was also reported that the testimony provided in the inquest had quote, caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. Yeah. Heretofore means basically like thus far. Like I don't like that. Heretofore. It's a great word. Stupid. Um, The inquest received significant press attention nationwide, because obviously this is fucking insane. I mean, it got its own poem, so. Yeah. And it also got an an extensive three-page write-up in the Boston Globe. A grand jury began hearing evidence on November 7th, and Lizzie was indicted on December 2nd. Dang. Sheesh. Sheesh is right. The Boston Globe, though, that bitch is still kicking. That is a publication that exists today. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Okay, so now we're to her trial. Her trial took place in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and started June 5th, 1893. It is a real element of focus that goes on when I have to say that year. Because I want to see 1983. It does come out easier. Every single time I see it, I want to see say 1983, but my brain is going into overdrive to make sure I say 1893. Uh, The prosecuting attorneys were Hosea M. Knowlton and future United States Supreme Court Justice William H. Moody. Defending attorneys were Andrew V. Jennings, Melvin O. Adams, and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson. So we have a lot of attorneys. Yeah. Five days before the trial's commencement on June 1st, another axe murder occurred in Fall River. Mm. Mm. This time the victim was a woman named Bertha Manchester, and she was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester murder and the Borden's murders were striking and noted by jurors. I think the only real resemblance is that it was by with an axe or a hatchet. Don't think there are any other similarities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, either way, um, a man named Jose Correa de Mayo a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894. Jesus, I just talked about this and then I did it. In 1894. So he was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. Um, Odds are this guy could have been convicted of that murder simply because he was an immigrant. So racist. Anyway, so he was determined to have not committed the Borden murder, so it had really no effect on this trial at all. Uh, A prominent point of discussion in the trial 
or at least the press coverage, was the hatchet head found in the basement, which the prosecution did not do a very convincing job demonstrating it to be the murder weapon. Prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood, but wouldn't the hatchet have also been covered in blood? You would think. And also, in whenever we talked about the evidence earlier, it said that the handle was broken, and they could tell that it was freshly broken because of the way the wood looked. Right. So that means that it, the entire handle wasn't taken, and the closer to the head of the axe, the more blood would have been on the handle. Right. The lower part of the handle would have been clean-ish, I would assume. For the most part. So they took the cleanest part of the handle? Yeah. And there was no blood on anything? Come on. This is why the jury was not convinced. We are not convinced either. True. Uh, one officer testified, so there's also contention between police officers about the scene and weapon. So one officer testified that a hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head, (laughs) but another officer said, no, there was no handle found near the hatchet head. And though no bloody clothing was found at the scene... Alice Russell, the family friend, testified on August 8th that she had witnessed Borden burn a dress in the kitchen stove, saying it had been ruined by paint. During the course of the trial, the defense didn't ever really try to challenge the statement, but it seems to have not really mattered. Uh, Lizzie Borden's presence at the home was also in dispute. According to testimony, Maggie Sullivan entered the second floor of the home at about 10.58 and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people that at this time she went into the barn and was not in the house for between 20 to 30 minutes. So Sullivan is saying she's in the house. Lizzie's saying, nah, I wasn't in the house, though. And then... A man named Hyman Lubinsky testified that he indeed saw Lizzie leaving the barn at 11.03. Hmm. And Charles Gardner, another neighbor, confirmed this time. Also seeing Lizzie at 11.03 leaving the barn. So we've got two witnesses saying Lizzie leaving the barn at 11.03. At 11.10 is when Lizzie called... Maggie Sullivan downstairs by screaming that Andrew Borden had been murdered and ordered her not to enter the room. Instead, Lizzie sent her to get the doctor. Which makes sense. Duh. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Both victims' heads had been removed during the autopsy and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June 5th upon seeing them in the courtroom. Lizzie fainted, as you do. She had a a bit of the vapors. (laughs) Uh, Evidence was excluded that Lizzie had attempted to purchase the hydrogen cyanide, or the hydrogen cyanic acid, whatever you want to call it. That was deemed unadmissible. But if we recall from the inquest, she had stated she reportedly was getting it to clean a sealskin cloak. Ew. Um, also, sealskin? Come on. They're so precious. Yes. Why are we skinning? That makes me feel sad. I like, I love little baby seals. And adult seals. Yeah. Just seals in general, really. They have those, like, big eyeballs and their little whiskers, you know? Yeah. Seal skins. Anyway, the judge ruled that the incident was too remote in time to have had any connection to the murders. The day before doesn't seem that remote, but sure. (laughs) The presiding associate justice, Justin Dewey, who had been appointed by Robinson when he was governor delivered a lengthy summary that supported the defense as his charge to the jury before it was sent to deliberate on June 20th. 
After an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury acquitted Lizzie Borden of the murders. Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters that she was, quote, the happiest woman in the world, end quote. Of course she was. Of course. (laughs) So, yeah, she was acquitted of the murders. Damn, dude. Wild. Um, well, although she was acquitted, most people still think she did it. So, some speculate that she may have committed the murders in sort of, what is that word? Fugue. What does that mean? It's hard to, basically kind of like um, a psychotic break state where she didn't really know what was going on, who she was, what she was doing. Gotcha. There's a fugue state in Breaking Bad. I've never seen that. What? You've never watched Breaking Bad? No. Dude, honestly, top two with Walking Dead, best shows ever created. Really? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. So good. One of the stickers on my laptop is Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. The hat and the glasses. Yeah. That goatee. Um, so yeah, some people think she did it because she had a psychotic break, like we just talked about, because I didn't know what fugue meant. <laughs> um, while others suggest that she may have, that Andrew may have physically or maybe even sexually abused, Li- I almost said Lily, Lizzie, <laughs> but there's no evidence that supports that at all. Not that there would be really evidence of that at this time period, right. to be honest. But, yeah, who knows? Mystery author Ed McBain wrote a novel titled, titled Lizzie in 1984. In the novel, he suggests that Lizzie had a romantic relationship with Maggie Sullivan and was discovered by Abby, and then Lizzie killed her with a candlestick. And then when Andrew came home, Lizzie confessed to him that she had killed her and told him why. And then Andrew reacted in anger. And so then Lizzie killed him too. Uh, That's a stretch, but it works. Uh, I would believe the first part, her maybe knee-jerk reaction to kill Abby after discovering her with Maggie, but then to also kill her dad, that just, I just don't think that it's really plausible. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, John Morse, who was the brother of Sarah Borden, is also another suspect. He was known to stay at the Borden house, or he was known to have stayed at the Borden house the night before the murders, and gave police quote, an absurdly perfect and over-detailed alibi. Yeah, that is, that's another one of those things of whenever people are, like, interviewed by police giving an alibi. There's, there's a happy medium there. If you just say, like, you have no memory of the time, then they're like, sure. Right. Right. Why? Why don't you? But if you remember, like, literally every fucking thing down to like the color of whatever you know i mean scott peterson is an example of this his alibi was fucking detailed like he was writing a descriptive novel about it yeah and like word for word knew all the voicemails he had left for lacey peterson And the police are like, okay. Yeah, that's weird. That's too much, bud. Um, Some point the finger at Maggie for being ordered to clean the windows on such a hot day. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I thought that that, I mean, maybe being ordered to clean the windows on a super hot day would piss her off. But I feel like that's not. Not enough to, like, whack somebody 17 times with a hatchet. Yeah. 
And then finally, Emma Borden was suspected as well, even though um, she was confirmed to have been in Fall River, which was like 15 miles away. She received a telegram informing her of the murders, and some say it was possible that she could have secretly traveled to the Borden home, killed Andrew and Abby, and then made it back in time to receive the telegram that would confirm her alibi. That's that's a lot. Yeah. And at this time, you have to, like, fucking take a carriage and fucking horse. Right. (laughs) That's not discreet. Not at all. (laughs) So I feel like that'd be noticed. Yeah. Okie dokie. So we've come to the late life and the death of Lizzie Borden. So after the trial, Lizzie and Emma Borden moved into a large modern house in the Hill neighborhood in Fall Fall River. This is kind of like the bougie neighborhood. Around this time, Lizzie began using the name Lizbeth A. Borden. So her name. At their new house, which Lizzie dubbed Maplecroft, they had a staff that included live-in maids, housekeeper, and coachman. Um, because Abby technically died before Andrew, her estate and any wealth that she had went to Andrew. And then at his death, all of that passed to Emma and Lizzie as a part of his estate. So... Emma and Lizzie were given a considerable settlement after the murders and obviously after Lizzie was like acquitted of the murders. Some settlement was paid to Abby's family, but Lizzie and Emma were just out here living their rich bitch life forever. Um, And even though she was acquitted, Lizzie was obviously ostracized by all of society she her name was brought into the public eye over and over and and especially she was accused of shoplifting in 1897 in providence rhode island that seems like a weird thing she was rich why would she have shoplifted yeah she could clearly buy whatever she needed for her for herself Um, In 1905, shortly after an argument over a party that Lizzie had given for actress Nance O'Neill, Emma moved out of the house and never saw her sister again. Seems like an overreaction. I would say so. (laughs) Uh, Lizzie was ill in her last year of life following the removal of her gallbladder. Um, She died of pneumonia on June 1st, 1927 in Fall River. Funeral details were not published, and obviously very few people attended her funeral. But weirdly, nine days later, her sister Emma died from chronic nephritis at the age of 76 in New Market, New Hampshire. She had moved there uh, in 1923 for health reasons and to avoid renewed attention following the publication of a book about her family's murders. I'm sure that that would have been really difficult to deal with for Emma. Yeah. Just like, even though she wasn't accused and wasn't put on trial, she would still have the notoriety around her at all times. Right. Uh, Neither sister ever married and they were buried side by side in the family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. At the time of her death, Lizzie was worth over $250,000, essentially $5.2 million. In today's dollars, she owned a house at the corner of French Street and Belmont Street, several office buildings, shares and utilities, two cars, and a large amount of jewelry. She left $30,000, a.k.a. $628,000, to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. Oh. She had left 500 or 10,000 in a trust for perpetual care of her father's grave. Her closest friend and cousin and a cousin received $6,000 each, which is $126,000 today. And substantial sums um, were left to numerous friends and family members ranging between $1,000 to 
and $5,000, or $21,000 and $105,000, respectively. Well, she seemed to be a pretty nice lady in her final days. (laughs) She was certainly generous with her money after she died. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, what (laughs) is she going to do with it? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's dead. So spread your wealth around, I guess, is the, is the moral there. Yeah. Um, so in conclusion, do we think Lizzie Borden is guilty? I simply do not know. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, what what is this? What's happening here with this hair? Come on. Um, I don't know. I'm literally split 50-50 on whether or not I think she did it. We'll never know. We will literally never know. But they didn't ever investigate the murders anymore after she was acquitted. So it's really just still an open case. Right. (laughs) So, because she was like really there... Obviously, we talked about other suspects, but she was really, she was the only suspect. Right. So. I mean, we're still talking about it today. Yeah, we're still talking about it. I don't know. It's. It's weird. It's weird. It's hard to believe that Abby's murder took place and no one heard shit. I'm still on it. I'm still on that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Who? We will I really know. don't know. Well, anyone who has an opinion on this, please let us know. Did Lizzie Borden kill her family? Yeah, we have to find this out. We're going to launch a full-scale investigation, and we're going to figure this out. Yeah, we're on the case. We are, we are on it. So, anyway, well, that's all we have for you today. Yeah, that's all we have. Um, we'll be back Friday with another bonus ep. With a little ditty for your listening pleasure. Yeah. It's a good one. It's local. To us. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not to you. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I mean, I think the majority of people who listen are from the state. So. Semi. Oh, my fuck. I gotta get my kids in bed. They're all going yeah. up out there. Yeah. It's seven minutes until their bedtime. So. Yeah. And Jameson keeps coughing. I have been hearing him cough the entire time I've been in here. Freaking school, dude. I love it. I love, I love kid germs. Germ monsters. Okie dokie. So, um, let us know what you think about Lizzie Borden and her guilt or innocence. That way you can assist us in our investigation. Um, big Big thanks to Ariel for our music and Laura for our artwork. Absolutely. Straight up professionals. Professionals. That's right. Please subscribe to our show and tell your friends about the show. That would be greatly appreciated. Rate us, review us. Five stars would be preferable. Just saying. And uh, visit our socials. And do all the things and stuff that goes with that. So. Woohoo. Yep. Week two in the books. And, uh, you know, just be out here and be kind. And stay weird. And stay spooky. Yes. Very much spooky. Stay spooky always. Yeah, year round. Year round. Okay. 
that that can be the end. Okay, cool.